Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Making Lemonade, the podcast where we talk about how we take the lemons that life gives us and all of the different flavors of lemonade that we as creatives and as people make throughout our lives. This week, we are talking about the 12 steps for creatives and how I translated it. This is the second part of a two-part series, so if you haven't heard the first part, this might not make all that much sense. So I suggest going back to the first part, uh, entitled The 12 Steps for Creatives Part 1, which you can find in our archives on all podcasting platforms, and then come back and listen to this second part. Now, if you've listened to the first part, let's just get into it, eh? I want to talk to you a bit about uh, the 12 steps and the model for handling addiction that I've written about myself in my book, Recovery, because I want to see what you think of it. Uh, like, So, like, uh, the 12 steps have anonymous fellowships, which I, if I were to belong to them, I wouldn't be able to say I belong to them without breaching their code of anonymity. But uh, the, uh, what's positive about uh, this approach to addiction is, uh, as we have discussed off mic, uh, that it creates community, mm-hmm. like the other people that have got a similar endeavour. And in fact, it was Jung that identified uh, the, uh, this uh, this solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he said that like people that have got chronic addi- addiction issues will struggle to change unless they have a spiritual realisation of some kind yeah. and the support of a community. Yeah. Well, on the spiritual realisation component, that's actually supported by the relevant addiction literature. One of the classic cures for addiction is spiritual transformation and the hardcore scientists have have laid that out as as a reality in the addiction literature i agree because to use more secular language around that a spiritual transformation could just be a change of perspective a, a renewal yes, a radical of, change of perspective yeah, yeah. from and, and typically in my experience that's from a self-centered view a self-obsessive view about getting your own needs met uh, a solipsistic, narcissistic perspective of life is this uh, is just an adventure where I go around trying to accumulate and accrue to oh wow I'm here to be of service. That's sort of the mm-hmm. transition in right, right. microscopically. Yes. But in addition to uh, community, like having connections between one another, the the 12 steps themselves, I think, are an interesting model for transformation and shouldn't be overlooked. And in fact, what my book was about is, could that method be transposed to anybody who's interested in change? So I wanted to talk to you about that to get your perspective on them. The first step is acknowledging that you are powerless over your addiction and that your life has become unmanageable. Just admitting, this is I don't want to be in this situation. Okay, so two, there's two parts to that admission. One is that you're in trouble. Yeah. And I guess there's three. You're in trouble and it's serious. Things could be better and you don't have the wherewithal at the moment to make them better. So the thing that's interesting about that is there's a kind of radical humiliation and humility that mm. goes along with that. So you say, I have a problem yeah. and what I know at the moment isn't sufficient to solve it. Great, yes. because now you've opened yourself up to the possibility of learning something. Because you say, well, I don't know. I don't know enough to fix this. It's like, okay, well, you could learn. And one of the things that's so interesting about people is that if they decide they have a problem and they also notice that they could learn, the probability that they will learn goes way up. Mm, That's very interesting. You've actually conflated the first three steps there in your 
analysis of the first one because the, the first one is admission that there's a problem. The second one is recognizing that things could improve, like came to believe that power great in ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the third one is made a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God as we understood God. So like, you know, yeah. Yeah, we could talk about that from a secular perspective. Well, we could talk about that from a secular perspective and say, well, there's a, there's a higher order moral principle that needs to be brought into the situation. And you sort of described that right at the beginning of the question because you said, well, what, partly what you do when you move from an addicted state, from a psychological perspective, is move from a viewpoint of the gratification of immediate desire and, and maybe the accumulation of things as a marker of success to the notion that, no, you actually have a higher purpose and that higher purpose might involve being of service. That could be of service to yourself, which means you wouldn't be addicted anymore because that's not a good way of being of service to yourself, but of service to yourself and the broader community, however you might define that. That's a higher order purpose and can integrate your motivations at, at a level that doesn't leave you at the whim of impulse. That's yes. the purpose of a higher order motivation. So, okay, so we've got three. Yes, that, that's the, the first three is to get you to that position where you're willing to change, believe in the possibility of change and accept help in order to achieve that change. Yep. The fourth and fifth steps are about inventorying. Get like, so this is where uh, the 12 step program becomes a fusion of spirituality and psychoanalysis because the fourth step is like a, a four column method where you write down a list of all your resentments in your life, your mm -hmm. childhood resentments, your resentments against uh, the government, people you work with. You write it all down and then there's a diagnostic tool where you identify what it is in you that doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. And and also, interestingly, in 12-step uh, in um, theology, let's call it, it says that anything, any time that you are personally disturbed, there is you have to take responsibility for it to a degree. There is something in you that's being affected. Yeah, you should at least ask yourself that question. Yes. Like, is it me or is it the world? Yes. It's like, well, let's consider first the possibility that it might be. I wrote about that in the sixth rule, right? Put your house Set in perfect your own order. House. Yes, yeah. yes. In fact, I've got our two rule. Like, my, like I did a truncated and somewhat more uh, uh, linguistically explicit uh, and expletive-laden version of the 12 <laughs> steps. And I've got your 12 rules for life here, and they don't necessarily correlate. But like, because like, you know, say your first one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's a great chapter, I think. And I love the, you know, the lobster stuff and the sort of the, uh, the ancient, timeless, almost roots of hierarchies yeah. and the chemicals that are at play, what's happening when you're, what, what's at play when we talk about self-esteem. Um, uh, like and this, yeah, the sixth one: set your own house in perfect order. I said before you criticize the world. Steps four and five in the tw in a twelve-step program deal with that inventory. What's going on in your life? Right, right. Inventory what your baggage is in your own personal. Well, you think it's very practical, Dad. It's like, well, let's say you want to fix up your house, which is actually quite a lot like fixing yourself up, which is a very common dream metaphor. Yeah. For well, the first thing you want to do is go look around and see what needs to be fixed. You know, and, and this, the interesting thing about that, and this is akin to what comedians do, is that as soon as you're willing to admit, comedians look at a problem and then rise above it right away and make a joke about it, but as soon as you're willing to admit that you have a problem, then you're, you've immediately contacted the part of yourself that's at least strong enough to admit that you have a problem. And so as soon, the act of admitting the problem is actually the first step to solving it. Yes. You might say, well, and it's, it's an optimistic step because you, you might say, oh my God, I can't admit to I, that I have a problem because what if I can't solve it? Well, exactly. So then maybe you won't admit to it. If you do admit to it, you're simultaneously admitting to the possibility that you could solve it. Yes. And then it can actually become something that's 
optimistic. You can yes. say, well, my life is horrible. It's like, okay, but I'm doing 50 things wrong. Well, great, I could fix those things and then maybe it wouldn't be so horrible. It demonstrates, the admission itself demonstrates progression and possibility for further progression. Exactly. I think it relates That's to why the... humility is always stressed in, in, in great religious traditions. Humility is precisely that. It's like you have to look at why you're not so good. Yeah. You have to, and, and, you know, that, that has to break down your pride to some degree and your arrogance. It's like, well, that's great because if you break down your pride and your arrogance, then you're primed to learn and you can solve your problems. So there's nothing in that. It's a bit crushing to begin with because you might think, oh, my God, there's really a lot of things wrong with me. Yes. But at least then you're on the on the road to fixing them. My personal journey of recovery has been a, like a kind of death. It, like, you know, like at, when I was 27, it was like the death of the drug addict self. That guy died. That's funny because I told Tammy when we were coming here today that when you were 27, you made the decision to live. Yes. I knew it was 27 because that's when people... I'm going to say like you, but you know, yeah. celebrities who, who are sort of on fire, they die all the time at 27 because they don't make that decision. They decide that they don't decide that they're going to take that final step into maturation. They want to hold on to that Peter Pan thing, that that possibility. You bet. You exactly that. They want to hold on to that. And you you can't hold on to that and live. Yes, and then there's a further death I'm noticing now in my early 40s that like, ah, oh, now at the midway point, yeah. at the midway, in a sort of Dante-esque way, oh, I, and now I'm moving towards the grave, mm -hmm. and now I'm like, there's a different kind of alertness emerging. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Okay, so what's a shortcoming? There's part of me that wants to say that a shortcoming is subjective. So if it were as most considerate a failure to meet a certain standard, then I suppose the aforementioned statement would be correct. Because as we know, the standards we hold ourselves to are completely subjective. For instance, I hold myself to a certain standard as a father. However, I do not consider those same standards when I am a creative. For instance, I am okay swearing and making sex jokes here at the podcast, but I would never do that in front of my daughter. Now, my fiance would say, well... That's not integrity, and maybe she's right. In fact, she probably is right, but I'm not writing an expose or deep analysis on my standards and how integral I am in my everyday life here. Uh, I'm now realizing, though, how much of a double standard that may be. Now, how does this translate for creatives? Well, let's think here about our own creative standards. Have you failed to hold yourself to your own creative standards? Like... Are you charging enough for your work or are you undervaluing yourself? Are you working to someone else's standards and therefore not allowing yourself creative freedom by making your own rules? These are our creative shortcomings. For instance, I was for too long trying things that worked for others and not just trying things that I thought were cool and seeing if others liked it too. 
What am I trying to what I'm trying to say is ask your universal creative power for forgiveness for your creative shortcomings. And also make sure to forgive yourself too. Step eight. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Okay, now I know this is the hardest part and the most ongoing part of the 12 steps, but that doesn't mean it won't apply here or work. Okay, so maybe you did harm people. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're one of those people that got so obsessed with your work that you stole someone's idea or upset a family member or loved one because you made a bad choice and drew them as an ugly Muppet. (laughs) I don't know. But most important here is first person on your list should be you. You need to make amends with yourself first before you can make amends with anyone else. Well, look, it doesn't even need to be creatively connected because I'm sure you've hurt someone or multiple someones. There is really no harm in trying to make amends with everyone you've hurt because even though it may not have been via your creativity, the sense of relief you will have when you do make amends with people will most definitely translate into your work. Step 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Okay, so this is the step where you actually have to do something. Well, look, you have to do all the steps up until now, but this is where other people are absolutely necessary. If you want to move forward with your life and your career and be the person you want to be, you will have to take this ever so difficult yet ever so crucial step. My friend, it's time to forgive yourself and ask others for forgiveness. Now, you may have hurt people so bad that they don't want to talk to you. This is fine. The act of trying is all you need to do. Some will forgive and others will not. Hakuna Matata. I have this moment where I kind of take stock of my life and I am about to star in this movie, Zathura. They're paying me a ton of money People recognize me at the airport. I'm doing everything I had dreamt of doing for 30 years. It all came true. And I am the least happy I've ever been in my life. I'm closest to not wanting to be alive ever as I've ever been. And I have every single thing on paper that I wanted. And that was a very weird... I feel grateful for this. Because I was able to say, oh, something much more profound is broken. Because up to then, I could tell myself, well, if I had money, I wouldn't need to do this. If I had, if I was doing the thing I wanted to do, that would solve everything. I think a lot of us proceed through life thinking we would be happy if, we would have self-esteem if, we would know contentment if, and those are illusions that most people don't get to find out are illusions. And I got to find out it's an illusion. I I was lucky enough to have a million dollars. 
If you'd have t- my whole life, if I had a million dollars, like, do you know how I would feel if I had a million dollars? Do you know what my life would be like with a million dollars? Well, I had a million dollars and I couldn't get on a flight to fly 35 minutes. Like, and I was like, oh, it's none of those things. Step 10. We continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Okay. Now we're getting into the good part. Now I know I've said all the other steps are crucial, but this one is the most important as this will be the step that will keep you from slipping. So what a lot of people will do is they will go on a diet, hit the gym, lose all the weight they wanted to and get the body they desire. But they won't have a plan to keep the weight off and stay healthy. In this instance, that is why health professionals stress that you need a lifestyle change, not a diet. This is exactly what this step is about. If you do not continue to audit yourself once a year, once a month, once a day, whatever it takes, you will fall off the wagon, so to speak, and find yourself right back where you started. Hell, I audit myself at least every two months to be sure I am achieving the goals I set for myself, especially the ones that I set at the beginning of the year and make sure that the work I'm doing is sending me in the direction I want to go and I'm not wasting my time. Same goes for my character. If I'm not diligent in keeping track of myself, then I will not become the man, the husband, or the father I want to be. Audit yourself, guys. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, so I know this one sounds super woo-woo and like something a grandmother would probably say with little to no context or walkthrough guide to understand it. Let me break this down as best as I can understand it. I myself try to remove myself from my work for a bit at times. One, this means I do a buttload of meditation, exercise, and family time. It's kind of like when comedians spend so much time traveling and touring all their material just starts to become about airports and Uber drivers. Well, that's how I interpret the first part. Meditation will help you to detach from your thoughts and not give them so much gravity. So that when you are working, you are free to try new things and throw away old concepts that maybe you would have become too rigid and attached to originally. The second part isn't necessarily about God at all. In fact, if you thought it would be about how everything happens for a reason, then I'm going to say forget that. In fact, in this instance, we all go through certain things at certain times, not necessarily because of design, but because we have to, to become the people we both want and need to be. We all have a purpose 
and that is what I believe this is saying. Creativity is a gift, not from God, but from something. And there are far too many destroyers in this world for those who are gifted with a natural creativity to not create. So if that's not a sign, then I don't know what is. And finally, step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to creatives. See, I've replaced alcoholics there. Two creatives and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So there you have it. We have reached the reason why I felt compelled to share and translate this to you all. You know I am all about spiritual practices and oneness with self. And this right here is the perfect example. I am an addict and I've been for a long time. I saw these steps and realized how they could not only be translated and handed on to the creative, but to our everyday lives. Because if we do not look after ourselves first, how are we expected to create? And also, how are we expected to help others? The reason why the 12 steps were created was because a man by the name of Bill W. had found that by helping another alcoholic like himself by the name of Dr. Bob, yes, I'm being serious, this is their names, they were able to both stay sober for their entire lives. So the key here is when you feel ready, help others. That's why I do this podcast, to keep me creative and on the path to success and philosophical enlightenment and to help you guys by sharing my knowledge and handing it on to you. Now, for God's sakes, go out and make something. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. I love you all so much. If you want any more information on my 12 steps for the creative, you can find the script for this episode on my website at www.jordanmorpathart.com forward slash making lemonade, where I have posted the entire transcription of this podcast as a blog. And please do not hesitate to contact me on Instagram at jordanmorpathart or our Slack all my links are below. If you would like to support the podcast, please just take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your stories on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, or wherever you socialize in the World Wide Web. And come join our Slack community to chat about the episode. Also, you can leave a review on iTunes. 
Thank you all to my weirdos again. I love you weirdos so much. I've been your host, Jordan. And as always, guys, stay weird. By the power of Grayskull. This is a battle
that we are gone away When you're aching for the fire And then begging for your sin When there's nothing left inside There's still a reason When the demon that's inside you Is ready to begin And it feels like it's a
42, entitled The Blank Canvas and Its Curse. The, that the blank canvas is only as scary or as exciting as you make it. If you decide it has to be beautiful, then you'll never start. So just turn up and start. All right, it's Q&A time, guys. Q&A time, let's do it. Let me just move the microphone. Uh, so if you want to ever want to ask me any questions uh, uh, for making lemonade, uh, I put up every week a Q&A uh, sticker on my Instagram, on my Instagram story. So stay tuned to my Instagram, at Jordan Morpeth Art. Um, so let's just get into these questions. There's only two this week, but they're from two really good people. First question is from Meerkat's Cosplay, a good friend of mine, Mr. Zach Katz. Um, he said, what should you do if a client doesn't pay up? That's a very good question. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about this and I've dealt with this before. Uh, my answer to this question is twofold. One, um, in future, try to take a deposit. Um, I try to take at least 50 to 50 percent, if not a hundred percent. If you take a hundred percent, um, you guaranteed the money and you just have to do the work. Um, but you have to have the discipline to do the work if you're going to do that. Um, I suggest taking the money up front. Um, that's the best way to do it, especially if you're freelancing. Um, but if they don't pay up, just keep sending invoices. Um, there's not much you can do, unfortunately. You can't really control people. Um, but you just bother them and bother them. You make sure that, you know, you sign, you can write contracts. Um, if you feel like the person's dodgy, you're always going to get tire kickers and really dodgy people um, in any industry, especially when it comes to graphic design and, and illustration. So I suggest um, covering your bases, just making sure that, you know, you're you get a deposit of some sort because then they're invested or if they pay the whole amount they're invested they've invested the money already that's probably the best way to do it um, I'd try to take as much money as possible up front um, and you know every client's different some people can't afford the whole money up front that's fine they just give you 50% but most people are pretty happy to pay you up front get it out of the way and then get the work done um, so yeah that's what I suggest if uh, if a client doesn't pay up I hope you're not having too many issues, my friend. Um, second question is from our loyal boy. It's not Bryce. So Kevin asks, do you think we're alone in this universe? Oh, this is a loaded question. No. <laughs> That's my answer to the question. No, we're definitely not alone in this universe. It's very, to me, it's narcissistic and self-absorbed to assume that we as human beings are the only life or intelligent life so to speak in the universe look at how much life is on this planet to begin with birds trees tigers um, there's no way that there's not intelligent life out there of some sort or just some form of life out there we could be the most intelligent form but i highly doubt it um Highly, highly doubt it. I don't know. I grew up on Men in Black and all that shit, so 
sci-fi films, Star Wars. I feel like there's definitely something out there. And the reason why we haven't found it is because it's more advanced than us. Um, and we are the primitive ones to them. And they've kept their, their presence unknown to us intentionally. Um, because... They didn't want us... I don't know, they're, they're, they're biding their time. And I love the the response. I'm actually going to use a similar response to this question that Neil deGrasse Tyson uses. He basically says, okay, so take the smartest ape, right? the smartest chimpanzee that ever existed. It would still struggle very much to understand. And then if we took you know, uh, a high school graduate and that high school graduate spoke to this chimp and communicated to it, the communication level would be zero to none. Yes, this chimp could probably communicate, hello, how how are you, and, and small talk, but you wouldn't be able to teach this chimp quantum theory or even how an iPhone works for that matter. Um, and so think of that as far as intelligent life form. We might not be able to communicate with something. Like, have you seen Arrival? That shit's pretty close to what I think would happen. Um, we might not be able to communicate with something that comes um, because it's so advanced to us. And it, it, the whole point is the, ch the chimps are 2% difference in DNA to us. And we can hardly understand them and hardly communicate with them. So if something is 2% DNA from like advanced of us, evolved of us, there's no fucking way we'll be able to communicate it, communicate with it. No way. Imagine if it's 10% DNA evolved from us. Like we're fucked. <laughs> They'll, they just think, they probably think we're three, like the way that we look at a three-year-old child, we're, we're children to them. We're, you know, this shit like... If we even put, you know, our smartest scientist, in, which used to be Stephen Hawking, you know, rest his soul, the late great Stephen Hawking, if he spoke to these aliens, he would be like a three-year-old to them, you know? Anyway, that's my thoughts on are we alone in the universe. Thank you, Kevin, for that. Now, the reason why I decided to do this series on the 12 steps is that here at Making Lemonade, we like to get deep under the skin of creatives and show you guys that the best way to change creatively is to look at yourself first and work on you because as we all know, life informs art. As I said in the intro, this is a two-parter and I will be continuing this series in the next few weeks because next week, it is the big episode the big 50 uh, half century baby and I have the, and I have the found boys aka the articulate boys aka the new mumble boys aka the clueless boys yes two of my favorite people and by far the most listened to guests Jackson and Rui are back to help me celebrate our 50th episode so stay tuned for the next for that next week ladies and gentlemen Thank you so much for listening. I love you all. If you want any more information on 
how I maintain my mental health or the 12 steps for creatives, please feel free to contact me on Instagram at Jordan Warpeth Art or on Slack. Um, this, these two episodes will also be an article um, on my blog, on my website. So if you go to www.jordanwarpethart.com forward slash making lemonade, you will be able to find that there. That's www.jordanwarpethart.com forward slash making lemonade. If you would like to support the podcast, please just take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your stories on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, or wherever you socialize in the World Wide Web and come join our Slack community to chat about the episodes. Also, you can leave a review on iTunes. Thank you, all my weirdos. Again, I love you so much. I've been your host, Jordan. Take care of yourselves. And as always, guys, stay weird. My spider senses are tingling.
This is a battle that 